Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Games We Love podcast. I'm your host, Aaron White, and you are listening to the show that promotes positive gaming discussion, featuring interviews and conversations with passionate gamers, including journalists, developers, podcasters, streamers, critics, and other diehard video game fans about a personal favorite game that they love. I've always wanted to keep this podcast broad, highlighting a wide range of people who game. And so in this episode, I'm chatting with Ashlyn White, an aspiring teenage game developer who also happens to be my daughter, about how she arrived at wanting to make games for a career. And of course, about one of her own favorite games as well. Welcome to the show, Ashlyn. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad that we get to do this. It's been a long time coming. We have definitely talked about it over the course of several years and should be a lot of fun. I know that the game we're going to talk about today is absolutely a fave for you. I've experienced it myself and I'm excited to get to have you share some of that passion for this game with the world. Well, we always get started here by a little get to know you session. And so what I want to ask you, first of all, is the same question that I ask all of my guests, which is, what is your journey with gaming so far? And I would say going back to your childhood and to the earliest days you can remember, when did you start getting involved with video games? So I'd say like the earliest that I can remember is probably back with the DSs, which isn't as old as many other people. But I know that our whole family had the three DSs. We would go to conferences, uh, play all sorts of games that we could play with other people. And I think that that's probably one of the first things that I did. A little later on, I got into game development with Scratch, which is a website by the MIT. And that was definitely one of the first like experiences I had with game development. It, nothing that I made on there was very good, but it was definitely something that got me into it. And the minute that I started getting into the game development part, I did a lot more gaming. It's never been a huge part of my life, but it's always kind of been in the background whenever I have free time or whenever I am just chilling out, I can, you know, pop on the Switch or pop on the Wii and try to play a couple games uh, with friends or just on my own. So you've definitely always had consoles in your house because I had them there. And I wonder, what are some of your favorite genres? What are some of the games that you've really enjoyed over the last several years, decade, like what what do you gravitate toward when you're going to play something? So when I'm going to play something on my own, it usually is going to be a puzzle game or like simple little indie games are usually what I gravitate towards. So things like Baba is You, I haven't been able to finish it yet, but those kinds of puzzle games or simple games are definitely one of my favorite kinds. I also really enjoy party games if I can get the whole family to actually play with me. But things on, on the Wii U, like Nintendo Land, are definitely um, another genre that I really like to play. So you mentioned Scratch and getting involved kind of at an early age with really minimalistic game design and development. When did that sort of change into a desire to do more in game development and try your hand at actual coding? And really, when did you find that spark for wanting to do game development as a career? I would say about three to four years ago, I downloaded Unity and I learned that there were tons of tutorials online. So I was mostly following those, trying to see what I could make. And none of it, again, turned out very good. But I really enjoyed like even just following tutorials to figure things out on my own. 
and kind of getting used to how the interface worked. And since then, it's only, you know, snowballed. Now I'm making my own games, uh, or trying to at least. And Unity has definitely been the next stepping stone after Scratch was. So, I mean, I'm still learning about it, but I've definitely gotten a lot better since I first started out. Have you done any game development yet on your own then, or have you just mostly been teaching yourself? I've done a few different, I've, I've done a couple different things. So for one of the clubs that I'm in, it's uh, competitive events, and one of those events is about actually creating a game yourself that follows a certain theme. So I've done that now two years, and I, the game that I first made on there was a quiz game. It was really, really bad, but I still learned a lot about different um, aspects of game development from it. And then my most recent one was a platformer, and I was actually really proud of how that one turned out. I wasn't able to quite finish the whole thing because I only had a year to do it, but this year I'm going to be trying to make my own game in just a year, like no restrictions, just whatever I want to make it about. No theme, nothing pre-made. So we're going to see how that goes. Uh, I've also recently been doing a lot of game jams, which is when uh, one person or group of people is competing against a bunch of others to make something within a short pe period of time that fits a certain theme. So I have one of those coming up as well. Awesome. And what kind of experiences have you gained from the game jam specifically? Because I know that for the listeners, you are extremely interested in the coding side, but maybe not so much in the art and the sound side. And so game development obviously takes usually a group of people or people that have all of those skill sets. What kind of experiences have you had working with others uh, that have different kind of goals and talents? Yeah, um, recently I had, well, up until recently, I'd been working with someone all the way over in Britain, and that we were both sort of coding, like, mainly. Uh, my very first game jam was when I met him, and we had this huge team with, like, two artists and, you know, three programmers. We had a sound person, so that game turned out really good. We had a whole week, and that was one of the, probably the best that I've done. So I've definitely learned that it's really it's really helpful to have somebody or a couple people doing each aspect of the game development. Like you said, I'm mostly the programming, so when I'm trying to make things on my own, the art has definitely suffered. Uh, the sound has always been free things that I could find online because I am not very good at that. So using the game jams, it's a good opportunity for me to learn teamwork and kind of get a better idea of how it works to, you know, work with other people who have different skills than you. Awesome. And so it is definitely coding then, then that you would want to do when you get into this as a career. Is that correct? Yes, for sure. What goals do you have, if any, for your career? Is there a certain style of game that you're looking to make? Is there a certain type of the part of the game industry that you want to be a part of, like triple A's, indies? What, what would be your ideal dream scenario after college? Uh, it's kind of flip-flopped over the years. For a while, I wanted to do AAA, like Die Hard, because I knew that I, I couldn't probably make something on my own. But as I started actually trying to make things on my own as practice, I'm starting to lean more towards the indie side. I think the best thing would be if I could work with a group of other indie developers and we could work together to make something. Um, but I would not be opposed to trying to make something myself or starting a group of people. It's just going to be a little bit harder. So that's what I'd probably want to do. Great. If people are listening right now and they've always been like, man, 
I want to make a game. That'd be so cool. What advice would you give them if they're thinking about kind of dipping their toes into this world, whether it's for a career or just for their own, you know, enjoyment and satisfaction? Google is your best friend. Uh, all developers will tell you that it is very helpful. Like all you have to do is just try, you know, Google it and figure out like, Hey, how do I use unity and just download it? It's free. Just try your hand at some tutorials, follow, follow anything you can find, even just play around with it. And you'll probably learn it's not as complicated as you may think it is at first. I know, I mean, I was only like 13, 14 when I first tried following some of those tutorials. And I mean, they're, they're not that hard to follow. You just have to find things online. And there's a huge community of people who are going to be able to help you out with that. So if you have questions, just ask, uh, Google anything you need, find tutorials on YouTube, and it'll be easy peasy to dip your toes in. Great. Well, that's awesome advice. So now let's get into some actual games, something that you've played recently. We like to kind of talk about something maybe in the last six months or so that has left you with a positive impression because this show is all about the good and not the bad. So what game would you say in the last six months or so has really caught your attention? Is there one that you'd prefer to talk about? Yeah, so I wanted to talk about Erica, which is a game on the PS4. It is all FMV based, so it's lots and lots of different videos, and as you are playing through the game, the video that you see will change. So, like, as you're playing through, the story will change based on your decisions, and it's really, really well made, like a few other games that I've played that are similar to that, that are choice based. They're great, but you have to stop to make the decision, and I noticed in this one, the transitions are really, really smooth, so it's, it's really nice. It's very fun to play. You have to use the touchpad to make decisions, which is also something really interesting. And I, we've, I've enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. So Eric, I, you know, we played this together and I too absolutely love it. And it's actually grown on me quite a bit as we've gone through multiple playthroughs of this game. It's about two-ish hours long, I'd say, to finish one playthrough, uh, especially your first one. The game is by a company called Flavorworks that was founded by the game's directors, Jack Atridge and Jamie Stone. And what's really cool is that Flavorworks is intent on making games that bridge the gap between movies and and cinematic nature of games and then games. And, and these are a little bit different than the games by Sam Barlow that we've played, Her Story and then Telling Lies are the other kind of FMV style video games where those you're just watching videos. But in Erica, you're essentially being an active participant in a choose-your-own-adventure story. And like you mentioned, the touchpad is really cool because you get to swipe or kind of hover over answers that you like, and the game has an app for your phone, which I really liked. I thought the app was cool. Uh, I wouldn't have wanted to do this as much, I don't think, on the touchpad, I don't think it would have been as accurate, but on your phone screen, you got this big phone, sc phone screen to use, and it's really fun to interact with. And I, personally, I think that that's one of the coolest things about this game. Like, if you're going to have an interactive element, it's got to be something that actually makes you feel like you're interacting. Did you get that same sentiment from it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's actually 
like swiping on your phone to, you know, turn a record or something like that, it's a lot more interactive than, you know, clicking a button. Because if you were gonna do that in real life, you would be actually moving your hand and stuff like that. So it's a lot more uh, interactive in that way. Yeah, it's definitely, it keeps you on your toes. And if you're you're following a guide trying to platinum it, like you gotta be quick too. Some of the decisions you don't have a ton of time to make, but usually you do have enough time, I would say. If you're playing through it the first few times, and you're just trying to make decisions as you go, you have plenty of time. If you're trying to be very specific and follow a guide, you might need to be on your toes. But that's one of the reasons that we've played it, is not just to platinum it, but because this is a game that has multiple endings. So the story is that you're following a girl named Erica, and it's really kind of supernatural-esque. It's got some mythology mixed in, but it's a thriller and, and sort of a murder mystery of sorts, all mixed into one. It's a really fascinating story. It's it's compelling, keeps you entertained, and it's got great performances. Uh, Holly Earl plays Erica, and she's phenomenal. It, it's really impressive to me because, like you mentioned, Ashlyn, with the way that the screen transitions occur, depending on what you choose, it, it almost seems like it's not happening. I mean, it just it just rolls right into a new scene, which often will require a different performance from the actress or the actors involved. And, and it also speaks to the editing of the game and how incredible it was done. Um, the composer, shout out to Austin Winery for an incredible score as well, and some fun Easter eggs uh, related to his own inclusion in the game. We enjoyed those. But yeah, Eric was free in July for PlayStation Plus owners. They got to download it. It's a PlayStation exclusive. So hopefully you guys downloaded it, and if you haven't got a chance to check it out or you weren't planning on it, maybe you'll find a time to do that now. Because it really is, I think, in my opinion, the cream of the crop right now for cinematic interactive gameplay. If you liked Until Dawn, right? Oh yeah. So we think that that's probably a good comparison and one that you would like to, you would like this game if you enjoyed that one. Yeah, definitely give Erica a check out. It will be worth your time. All right, so we're going to talk now about your favorite game, or I guess I shouldn't say your favorite game, one of your favorite games. The game we're going to talk about is The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And first off, spoiler warning for the game, in case Ashlyn decides to talk about story at all, we're going to talk about it some. But the game doesn't have a, a tremendously effective story, in my opinion, so I'm still giving you the spoiler warning, just in case, in case you want to experience it for yourself for the first time, but... There you go. We're doing our due diligence. Well, Ashlyn, when I asked if you would come on the show and talk about a game with me, it was always going to be one of two things. And the first option was going to be Fire Emblem Three Houses, and the second would be Breath of the Wild. Now, what's fun about these games is that we've played through both of these together. And so we've gone very slowly through both of them because we don't have a ton of time to play together. But when we have had that opportunity, we've often done that. And so we've taken turns at times. You've usually been in control the most with Breath of the Wild, of course. But I did my due part, and we'll talk about that. Uh, so I, here's the thing. I want to know why these games. I want to know what it is about Breath of the Wild that makes it a favorite for you. Just kind of what is your general synopsis of why you love it so much? Well, to be totally honest, I kind of surprised myself with how much I liked this game. I played it back in when it came out on the Wii U. And I didn't, it didn't stick with me all that much, but when we got it again on the Switch and started it up, I was in love. It, I think it's the best part about it for me is just 
uh, unlike other open world games, there's just, there's a ton to do. Like, there is always, you can just walk around and you'll find something to do, which I definitely did a lot of. Uh, I avoided the story a lot because I would just, you know, wander around here and, oh, look, there's a stable and now let's go ride off with my horse and collect some random Korok seeds for no reason. And the next thing I knew, an hour had passed by. And I enjoyed every minute of just wandering around and exploring and climbing random mountains just because I can. So I think that one of the highlights of this game is just how much movement you can do, how, how much you can explore the map. And it, the game doesn't force you to go on to the story. Even when you do finish the story, you just go back to where you were and you're able to continue as if you hadn't. So that's one of my favorite parts of the game. Awesome. Yeah, so you could put in chunks of time into this game in a row, unlike I have ever seen you do, which was fascinating to me. And so I wonder, like, what is it about this game that does suck you in in a way where you can play it for eight hours in a row on a Saturday or a long weekend and just feel completely lost in it, whereas you, you've never really done that with other games? I think, yeah, it's it's that you can do anything. You can walk around and you'll find something cool to do, or you can, I mean, you can just explore to your heart's content. I love just making food, you know, running around, seeing what I can find. Uh, and because there's so much to find, usually that results in me not following the story a whole lot. But I think, I mean, if I just get on there, I can walk around and just find random stuff. And the, again, next thing I know, it's just been eight hours. Like, I, there's just so much to do in this game that you can find and you things to explore. So that's, I just enjoyed finding random things in this game. Well, Breath of the Wild stands out in Zelda's long-running series by, like you said, it puts the player into this vast open world with no real limit as to where you can go right from the start. Instead of directing you, on a specific path on how to gain power and how to fight increasingly difficult bosses. In this game, you can come upon a really difficult boss right away and you're just going to die. It's that simple. You can't necessarily beat him until you've explored the world and done the things you need to do to get more powerful. Same thing with the challenging puzzles. They're scattered throughout, but not in a direct manner where they get tougher as you go. They, you might come across a really difficult one and have to come back to it later. You might come across an easy one. You just never know what you're going to find. So I wondered, you know, is that appealing to you more so than a linear type of game in which you're just following a progressive path of difficulty? Because that's how most games tend to be made. I'd say it, when it's done really well, like it is in Breath of the Wild, it definitely is. Like I said, I surprised myself. I didn't know I was going to love this game so much. But, I mean, I've never seen that done nearly as well as it is in this game, where you can just wander around, and sure, maybe you'll find a really hard guy, but you can wander around, go around him, and then maybe remember that for later. And once you become more powerful, you can go show him who's boss, you know? And I really enjoy getting to explore and then come back and fight things that I couldn't before. And it makes you definitely feel how much more powerful you've gotten. And like, even with a linear story, you know, you're getting more powerful, but usually the bosses are getting more powerful with you or the enemies you fight are. And in this one, sure, he'll be super hard the first time you fight him. But then if you can come back and then you can defeat him, you definitely can tell how much better you've gotten. Yeah, that's a really good point because in a lot of games that are kind of 
gated each area is for a certain difficulty, the player never fully gets to experience either being totally underpowered or totally overpowered. And in this game, you can get to the point where you're overpowered in areas because you can go back to an area where it's not really an area. You can come back to an enemy type where you're supremely powerful after you've beaten the game and you're playing around in the world and you could go over a hill and run into another enemy that is still completely challenging to you or even more powerful than you are because of the way that everything is not gated in these little areas. So you just never know what you're going to get. It really makes it interesting to kind of explore and it keeps you on your toes too because you can't just walk around and think everything is hunky-dory because you might not be safe when you think you are. Well, the main goal, in my opinion, is unlocking towers. And I know this sounds like I'm a checklist kind of guy and a player. And so for me, I like the aspects of this game that do allow you to just complete things and finish them off. And so that's one of the things I really gravitate toward is unlocking these towers, which like in a lot of open world games, kind of going back to the Assassin's Creed series, will then reveal landmarks around you and some things you can do. They also are how you fast travel in this game. So once you've completed a tower, you're able to go back to that area quickly. And then completing shrines is the other big thing that you're trying to do, which is how many are there? Do you have any idea? I don't know how many there are, but there are a ton of shrines out in this world. And when you complete each one, you earn a spirit orb. And those will eventually allow you to increase your health and stamina. So that's kind of how you get stronger, right? And then ultimately, your main goal is to defeat four divine beasts and then Ganon's ugly, gross form that has taken over the castle. Because that's what Ganon does in all of these games. I wanted to ask a few questions about each of these kind of elements. First of all, what are the shrines like to you like what do you enjoy about the differences of the shrines and do you have a favorite uh i don't have a favorite type of shrine i do have a least favorite what's your Um, least favorite i would say the least favorite would be the combat shrines uh my favorite part about the shrines is you know you walk into this unsuspecting big glowy stone and you'll usually have some sort of puzzle to complete And like I mentioned before, puzzle games are my jam. So I love having these little puzzles. And once you complete them, you get something cool. And you also unlock it as a point that you can come back to as well. So that's those are my favorite types. Definitely the ones that are puzzles and that are a little bit more difficult too. The combat shrines are exactly what they sound like. You walk into a room and there is an enemy that you have have to kill. And then you've completed the shrine. So usually, because there's three different levels of the enemies, I avoid the hardest ones, which I probably could beat them, but it's just not that much, that's not that interesting to me. That's not my favorite part of them. Um, So I vastly much more enjoy the puzzle shrines. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I think that that's one of the interesting things about the game, as I mentioned earlier, is you just never know what you're going to get. You can go through a lot of effort to get to a shrine or unlock a shrine, climb to a shrine and find out that it's a minor combat shrine, which is really easy or a major combat shrine or a minor puzzle or a major puzzle. It's a really all about the discovery. And if it's one that you don't want to approach, you don't have to, you know? And that's the thing is like in, in our gameplay that we've 
had for the game. So far, you know, we've done very few of the major combat shrines, but we're totally powerful enough. We beat the game, we're in New Game Plus, and we've, we're doing just fine. Um, and so you don't necessarily have to do them all, which I think is awesome because it allows you to play the game your way. And, and that's one of the common threads of this game that I think do make it so special. And kind of is what you were getting at earlier is you really can play it however you want. You're not being forced to do any one thing and you can still accomplish the goals that the game ultimately has for you. However long it takes and in whatever order and in however you want to do it. So I want to go over some of the specific systems that this game has as well. So it has a day night system, which some games have. Uh, in this game, the enemies regen at night, I believe. Is it night or there's a blood moon? Can you explain that and what you think about it? Yeah, so in the game, the the day is when all the NPCs are awake. Um, the enemies are not all that different. At night, you do have the threat of the skeletal enemies that can pop up out of any out of nowhere and just start attacking you. Uh, usually, to be honest, that's not a huge deal for me because the skeletal enemies are not that difficult to fight. And if they all, if you don't want to, you can kind of just walk around them. They're not that fast. Uh, so the day and night cycle is really cool. It doesn't change a whole lot, but it does also change the scene. And another thing about this game is how beautiful it is to play. So, you know, if you're up on top of a mountain, the landscape will look a lot different if you're at like sunset or sunrise or in the middle of the day, in the middle of the night, stuff like that. Um, the enemy region is the blood moon. They're kind of something that I dread, to be honest. I haven't noticed a whole lot. Like, it's not super obvious after the Blood Moon that there are enemies that are they're back after you fought them. They do help a little bit because it shows you when they're going to be back in the world. So if you go fight the super powerful boss and then a Blood Moon happens, you know that there's gonna he's going to be back. So you can go fight him or you can try to avoid him however you feel uh, that you want to approach that. Yeah, I kind of like this system. It's unique because, you know, most games will either have A, enemies that are singular, and once they're beaten, they're gone, and they don't come back. And so there's a finite amount of experience or equipment mm -hmm. that you can get from them. And then the other option is usually fully just randomized enemies like in a Pokemon game or in an RPG where you can just they just pop up at random and you never know what you're going to get and they never stop. So even when you're super powerful, you're still getting the same sort of enemies everywhere just randomly showing up. And in this game it's not like that. Like you said you can clear out an area and you have until that blood moon to worry about it coming back, which makes for a really intriguing experience and I think part of what makes it work is that you're not gaining experience. This game is an RPG that you don't gain experience in. So mm -hmm. killing an enemy does not help you get stronger, period. It doesn't. Like, in what game do you play that killing an enemy doesn't help you get stronger? Normally, that's the case. In some way, they're going to help you get to that goal. But that's not how it is in Breath of the Wild. Now, they help you attain gear. It helps you attain items by clearing out a camp and opening a chest that they've been guarding. But the actual act of killing them just is not something that helps you directly. Uh, along with the day-night cycle, there's also a weather system. So the weather changes. There are areas of this game where it's blazing hot and areas where it's freezing cold. How did you like the way that the rain and all the different weather effects work in this game? 
I think that the weather effects in this game are really well done. Uh, as annoying as it can be when it starts raining and it's really difficult for you to climb things, like if I'm about to go climb something and then of course it starts raining, I have to wait it out until the, re- the day is back or whenever it's not raining again. It's very realistic. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it is a little bit annoying, but at the same time, it's really well done because, you know, there's also, there's advantages and disadvantages to all the different types of weather. So like if I'm out in the desert, um, a lot of times it'll happen to me where it's super hot and I have certain armor on because of how hot it is. And then all of a sudden it's nighttime and I'm like, hold on, why is, why am I freezing? And I mean, in real life, the deserts are not just always hot in the night. It's super cold. So you have to actually plan for that. If you don't, if you're not prepared for both hot and cold weather, I mean, you're not going to make it in the desert. So I think that the weather system is really uh, interesting and it's definitely a cool aspect of the game and one that you have to actually focus on. You have to actively make sure that you're prepared for any of the types of weather that you encounter. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to survive. Yeah, that's a really good point because I would say that the game I'm playing right now, Ghost of Tsushima, has a really dynamic, beautiful weather system. And it's awesome for photo mode, but it doesn't actually affect the gameplay in any significant way like it does in Breath of the Wild. Yet another thing that makes Breath of the Wild unique and special. And, you know, many people have argued against this game being something that is so amazing. Others you know, find it to be one of the best games ever made. And I can't help but lean towards the latter because there are so many systems that work together in this game that are not ever together in a game. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. what makes it different. So the Divine Beasts, this is kind of the ultimate big goal, the big bads, but they're not like traditional bosses. So in most games, you're looking for this big bad boss fight. He's going to be really hard. You're going to go take him out once you get strong enough. And once you take out enough of them, you're able to go fight the worst boss, which is going to be Ganon, right? Instead, the game uses these divine beasts, which are much more like Colossi in Shadow of the Colossus, I would say. They're gigantic and they consist of a really unique design. They are part puzzle and part combat. So you don't get to choose one or the other. You have to do both. And what I find fascinating is that the game is built around going to all of these shrines to get more powerful. And in the shrines, you have combat. And in the shrines, you have puzzles. And it's like these divine beasts are merging those two things in really intriguing ways to make you fight. And and it achieve a power and and get yourself closer to being able to fight Ganon. They take the place of your typical temples in Zelda, and so they do come kind of themed to the area. They're all based on animals, and like, how did you feel about the design of the Divine Beasts and the way that getting through them works? So I thought that the Divine Beasts were really cool. I will say I was a little disappointed when I had to give you the controller to try and do the Divine Beasts That's every true. once in a while. That's true. And it hurt to watch how much you struggled with That's the puzzles. That's not true. That's not true. That is true. Uh, but I think that they were really well done. I don't know that they were all that much more complicated than some of the other just like normal puzzles in the game. But I will say the combat was definitely really difficult. And so with the combination of the two... It makes it worthwhile when you finish the, the Divine Beast and you get something really cool from it, you know, and it's it's more than a shrine. Like you said, it's like merging the two types of shrines together, making it a little bit harder. And then by the time you're finished with it, I mean, it's been a solid half hour or so. They take a while. And once you finish, it feels like you've really accomplished something great. 
Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. It, there is a great sense of satisfaction when you defeat the Divine Beast. And part of it is the area design, the level design of the beast. So one of them is an elephant. I was about to say a camel. One is an elephant. Is there a camel? Yes. Oh, there is a camel. So there is a camel and an elephant. There is a bird and there is a lizard. And you are able to rotate them to accomplish the solving of the different puzzles, which is really wild. And because of that, the zones that you end up fighting in in once a boss appears are kind of unique sometimes and unlike what you would traditionally have in a shrine. And so because of the level design, it adds an element of structure and challenge to you fighting that boss. Um, I really, really like them. I think it's so cool. And I found myself wishing there were more mini divine beasts in the game. But I also believe that by limiting them to four and making them so huge and so long to get through that they become iconic and they really that's what gives you that sense of satisfaction when they're you finally take one down they're special they are special yes limiting them makes them special and i think that it, you know the design of the way the game is structured kind of to allow you to work your way up to them is a perfect flow of letting you learn its systems getting better at them, and then challenging you. The other thing is you can take on any Divine Beast you want in, in, what, any order. in any order. And it's interesting because each one gives you a power that may or may not be very useful in future games. I, I was thinking about my recent episode with Francisco Ruiz. We talked about Mega Man X, and Mega Man has this design in it where you can choose any boss you want and if you say go beat the fire boss first, then the ice boss is going to be a lot easier. But if you don't go beat the fire boss, the ice boss isn't going to be as simple. And so this actually works out the same way. And so if you're playing it for the first time, you don't really know what the powers you're going to get are. Now, they are sort of kind of sometimes tied to the idea of the divine beast and the, the species and the zone you find them in. But yeah, I really thought that that was a cool element. So like until you go get the power to go up waterfalls, you're going to be kind of unable to explore certain areas. Yes. Um, until you build up your, the other thing, until you build up your stamina in the game in general, by getting enough shrines and putting enough points into that, you're not going to be able to get over those mountains. So even though you can see that mountain in the distance, and in reality, in, in technical terms, you can go to that mountain and you could, at any point in the game, go straight to the highest mountain. Yes. But not until you get enough stamina to get there, because that's realistic. And mm -hmm. I like that. I liked feeling like, that world exists around me, but I do have to earn my way to it instead of having an invisible wall. Yeah. That be, it was like, no, you can't go to that mountain area yet. No, you can go. It's just not going to end up well for you. You're yeah. going to fall. <laughs> well, when it comes to adventuring, uh, Link always has a wide array of tools at his disposal in all of his games. And one specific aspect of this game related to the combat is that weapons and shields break. Even the best ones, meaning you can get the best weapon in the game. Well, that's not true, because the Master Sword doesn't break. But you can get some of the best weapons in the game, or the best armors in the game, and they're going to have limited use for you, no matter what. So you can't just run around smacking everything down. And so much of your power is tied to your weapons oh, yeah. that you have to be strategic in how you use them. How does that 
kind of worked for you versus a traditional level system? Did you like that? I would say it has pros and cons. Um, at first, when you're playing through the game and, you know, you're, you're doing your thing, smacking the monsters and all of a sudden, oh, my short, my sword's gone. I don't know what to do. Like that, that sucks. And it takes a little bit of getting used to, but once you get used to that and you expect it, um, you become a lot more conservative with your weapons. And I will say one of the cool things about that system is that it kind of encourages you to try different ways of fighting monsters because like I've seen online uh, lots of people they'll use their divine beast powers and they'll use the Sheikah Slate powers and things like that to try these really wild crazy ways of killing things so like you know you can stop this rock in time hit it really really hard and then once the time like when it goes back to having that power it flies forward and destroys an enemy in one hit like that's and that's really satisfying when you can pull something cool like that off or like swinging a giant metal door at an enemy instead of trying to actually like just swipe swing your sword at them a couple times it definitely adds a really cool element to the game because you're not just combat doesn't always mean just hitting your sword at things until they die you can try lots of different things and they might not be something you'd try until you realize that your sword just broke and now you don't have any other option yeah that's a really good point. you know i'd never actually really thought about how that could work because there are times when if you're not smart, honestly, if I played the game more, to be honest, I would have broken all of our weapons. Yes. Because that's what I do. I would have just gone run in like a barbarian and smashed at things and I would have used the best weapons we had because that would have been fun <sighs> and you would have had no weapons to use. But I really like that about the game as well. And th there are these other things you can use, like your tools that Link typically has, his bombs, and like you said, the magnetic thing and such and then there the armors have status effects as well so like you know some of the armors will help you withstand the incredible heat mm -hmm. you're gonna need that as well um in order to succeed and so i liked that I, I will ask how did you feel about the combat mechanics so one of the things about this game is that there are a lot of controls to really get used to do you feel that if you put enough effort into it that you can really master them and they come naturally or do you think that the controls are at all like a hindrance for people enjoying the game <laughs> well after putting in as many hours as i have i've definitely gotten used to the controls enough for it to not be an issue for me but i can definitely see how it could be intimidating to someone if they're first starting out uh, with all of the different things that Link can do, and the buttons are definitely not what you're used to. Like, the button that normally would be jump is to attack. So I know lots of times, for example, when you get on for the first time, you will throw our weapons instead <laughs> of trying to, you know, use a power. That's true. <laughs> which infuriates me to no end, but, you know, it takes a little bit of getting used to, so I kind of understand. So I can definitely see how it could be a hindrance to someone when they're first starting out, but if you play it enough, then you can definitely get used to what the controls are. So one of your favorite things to do, and one of my favorite things for you to do when I don't have to watch but get to benefit from it later, is cooking. <laughs> <laughs> you love cooking in this game. Tell me why you love cooking so much. I think it's just because it's so expansive. I don't know of a lot of other games where you can throw random ingredients into a pot and end up with some really cool combinations, but you can also throw random ingredients into a part, pot and end up with something super terrible that does absolutely nothing for you. So I, I really like, you know, looking online to find uh, different recipes and then trying them out and like, hey, I made an apple pie. Sure, it's just ones and zeros, but it feels cool to know that I made an apple pie. 
you know, and like, even if I'm just I'm throwing a bunch of things into the pot, sometimes I'll end up with something super duper powerful that can help me if I'm fighting a divine beast or something like that. So that's another cool thing. Like your knowledge of how the cooking works will make it so you can make better things. Like it's not, and I mean, even if you just throw a bunch of meat into a pot before you know anything, you can still end up with something good, but it does take a little bit of mastery and understanding how the ingredients work together in order to make good dishes. Yes. And what is cool is that there's no element of gameplay skill involved in this. So you don't have to, you know, maneuver your, you don't have to circula- circulate <laughs> your control stick or use a certain button combination in order to get the the best quality of dish. Yeah. It's all about understanding, like you said, how those ingredients go together. And, you know, you need them. You need the ones that are going to boost your stamina or give you extra temporary hearts or things like that, or, or, you know, protect you against the elements in order to get through certain portions of the game. Um, But what's cool is that you have the options, too. So you could just make a bunch of stuff that gives you heat resistance and rely on that, or you could go farm up some rupees and buy some heat-resistant armor. Mm -hmm. You have the option in this game. You can play it however you want. (laughs) Yep. Well, when it comes to the story, this is much like most Zelda games, which is there isn't much of one. Link awakens and he needs to save Princess Zelda by defeating Ganon. That's the basic. There are a lot of colorful characters along the way. And I wanted to ask, like, did you think that the story quest was engaging and engrossing and satisfying at all? I think that might be one of the weaker parts of the game for me. But I don't know that it needs to be all that great. Like, I think that Mm -hmm. the main thing about this game is, like, you can totally ignore the story and still have an absolute blast. That's what I did. Like, I went to go get a couple of the Divine Beasts because I knew that the powers were good, and then I ignored them for the longest time. And you wanted me to go through the story. Like you said, do checkpoints, you know, actually follow what you're supposed to do. But in this game, I mean, the story's not that great, so you're not missing out on much if you want to go run around and find a random horse or try to ride a bear, you know? Like, you can do whatever you want. Well, that and that being said, these colorful characters, you definitely were attached to some of oh, them. Yeah. There were ones that I knew you would go back to frequently, and some of them had some interesting side quests, and I think... <laughs> It's less about what the quest was and more about just getting to interact with those characters. Did you have some favorites? <laughs> okay, spoiler warning. The Terrytown quest is one that I remembered even from when I played it on the Wii U when it first came out. And like, I was so excited when I got to do that one. Like, I wanted to make sure you saw it. I That one was my absolute favorite. You're helping to develop an actual town with this man And you also eventually help him find love. And it was really sweet. And, you know, you get really attached to him. He gives you discounts at his store. Makes you get a bunch of wood, too. But, I mean, I can forgive him for that. Uh, So that was definitely one of my favorites. And I think you're definitely right about the story or the side quests being really um, interesting. And they're very well thought out. Because if you're not going to follow the story quest... You can go find side quests and still feel like you're accomplishing something if you're not the type to just wander around. So that's a cool thing about this game. They're also not nearly as frequent. So in many open world RPGs, side quests are a dime a dozen. And they're fetch quests and do this Mm -hmm. and do that. And they're just, they're everywhere. In this game, they're actually really spread out. And they're a lot more... Involved. Involved. Yeah, that's a good word for it. You've got to do a lot more. And it doesn't spell it all out for you too there's some (laughs) investigation and some 
exploration that's involved in trying to learn where you maybe need to go. And so Mm -hmm. you might pick up a side quest somewhere and not realize what you need to do for 10, 20 hours until you're in a completely different part of the map. Yeah. And it's cool that it's built like that because the game doesn't, since it's not gating you and directing you, it has no idea when you're going to find that side quest. You could be within an hour of starting the game or it could be 30 hours into the game. Yes. Um, And so I really enjoyed the way that it had those elements there to kind of make up for some of that lack of story, main story as well. It all works and it all makes sense because of how the game wants you to play it. Well, there's also Korok Seeds. Uh, Did you think that those were an interesting addition to the game? They're like the collectible. You can, you, there's a ton of them to get. 400 plus. There's 400. (laughs) Are you serious? Yeah. Goodness gracious. So what do Korok Seeds give you that's valuable? And did you have fun seeking them out? So I think the Korok Seeds, they do give you, they help you to actually find them because you can use them to get more space for uh, armor, weapons, and shields, I believe. Oh, bows. Um, You can get more space to hold weapons and things for for Link to hold. But honestly, that's not why I looked for them. I think that that's there for the people who wouldn't go, wouldn't even care about the collectibles otherwise, because now they have some sort of value. For me, if I hear that noise and I think that there's a quark nearby, I will search everywhere. Like, I will look high and low, and if I see a random thing of lily pads in the water, I will dive in there right away, even if I was in the middle of doing something else. Because I just really enjoy the feeling of finding all those collectibles, and I tend to be one of those 100% people. So, I mean, it'd be really cool if I could get all 400, but I know you probably won't let me play it that long. I You can <laughs> play it as long as you want. I, I agree with you. I think that they are very rewarding. You know, I'm the opposite. And so, again, like we've talked about all episode, the game is for everyone because I just want enough to get me more weapon slots. Because I want to go through all the weapons, and I want to be able to break them and carry as many as possible. <laughs> I don't want to find myself without a sledgehammer to break rocks open because I have to have too many swords or whatever. I want those slots, and that's how you get them, is finding the Korok seed. So it is really cool that they have that dual purpose of letting you go after a collectible and work your way toward a completion percentage of something and that feeling, but also having in-game significant value for some. Um, who want to play the game a certain way, um, which is great. And speaking of playing the game as long as you want, so there is DLC. Yes. And when we recently beat the game, we knew we wanted to do that before the podcast. And I made that the only way I got you to let us beat the game was to promise you that I would buy the <laughs> DLC immediately upon it and us being victorious. And so we did that. And now we have it. So it offers some new trials, some new gear, some quality improvements. And a really cool feature uh, about that, that uses the map to show you your path and things like that. And then it's got some more story to it. What do you think about the DLC so far? So I haven't explored it a whole lot, but what I have explored through the DLC has been really great. I know that it has some new treasure that you can find. I don't know if you mentioned that. But I, when I when we first got the DLC, I started going for the treasures. And that wasn't even what I thought I was going to like about the DLC. I thought it was going to be the story and learning more about the four main companions of yours. And I did do that a little bit. But then I got sidetracked because I accidentally found one of the treasures. And I was like, shoot, this is super cool. I got to go find the rest of these. So that was definitely a really interesting part of the DLC. And 
I hadn't like actively wanted the DLC before we got it, but once we did, <laughs> I am loving it. There is so much to explore. Like there was already so much in this game, but now there's just even more. Yeah, and I think my favorite thing about it would be the hero's path and the quality of life. So the quality of life improvements gives you some extra warping ability to move around the map. So more mobility for fast traveling, mm. let you call your horse from anywhere, yes. which is, again, more mobility and, and helpful to let you accomplish things faster, which I think is great. That, that's what a new game plus should do. It should make it easier for you to continue exploring the game and what's left without having to put in quite as much time because you're not trying to beat a story at that point. And then the Hero's Path feature is really unique. It's kind of a one-shot interesting thing. But what it is is that this element, the game has been tracking your steps, unbeknownst to you, <laughs> ever since you started playing. And when you get the DLC, you can lo log on and load up the Hero's Path, and it will show you everywhere you went. It will track your character movement. And it will, like, poof when you teleport to a tower and poof you into the other portion of the map. And it's just fascinating watching your character walk and go all across the map. It's fun to see, like, when you went in a straight line to explore. <laughs> or, as Ashlyn is laughing about, when you went in circles over and over <laughs> and over. Um, it, it's really cool. It takes a while to watch, honestly. I was going to make a video of it and put it online, but it just is so long to go through. I mean, you play the game over 100 hours, and mm -hmm. it does. It takes like 30 minutes to like play out. But we watched it, and we were compelled the entire time. We were like, oh, I remember that. Yeah. You know, oh, there's me trying to run up and down that mountain and failing over and over and over again until I finally got it. Oh, there's me teleporting in and out to go get wood and bring it back to Terrytown, And it's just a really neat feature. Yeah, I'd forgotten that uh, right when we started the game, I had jumped off the cliff about six times in a row. So it was really fun to revisit that. I, I agree with you completely that the Hero's Path was definitely a really cool thing to add. And I mean, nobody asked for it, to my knowledge. It just kind of was something they thought of. And it was a really cool thing to watch through to see how you got where you are and for Dad to make fun of my circles. <laughs> yes, Dad will make fun of everything Dad can make fun of. That's what Dads do. <laughs> Well, last but not least, Breath of the Wild 2 has been announced. So we know that it's coming at some point. What would you like to see in Breath of the Wild 2? Well, I have been following it a little bit because of how much I liked this one. I wanted to know what was in it. So I know one of the rumors is Zelda as a playable character, which as a female, I would definitely like to see. Um, another thing, I don't know if this is going to be in the game, but it would be really cool if they had a cookbook. Because let me tell you, trying to remember all of the recipes that I've learned it's impossible. I have to look it up every time. So if they get out a cookbook, I would greatly appreciate it. But I also think it, as far as the story goes for the second one, uh, I'd like to see more of the four companions because, like I said, I was super excited when we got the DLC to learn more about them as well. And they don't have much of a role in the first or in the main game. So I think if the second one was able to kind of show you more of their personalities and their stories, I would really appreciate that too. Yeah, that would actually be really cool. I hadn't thought of that. Of, I hadn't actually thought of this game as a direct sequel, even though it's called Breath of the Wild 2, because <laughs> so many Zelda games are not sequels. They're just, they restart and tell the same story from, you know, Zelda being kidnapped and Link being memory wiped to going to beat Ganon. But maybe that would be neat if Ganon Returns takes over. And then with the companions, you have to team up together mm -hmm. to somehow defeat him. And yes, I agree with you. I actually think we are long overdue for a game 
and a franchise that is named after a female character to actually allow you to play that female character. Yeah. Um, is there anything you would like to see in a Zelda character, in a way that a Zelda character that plays, what would you think might be different about how she plays than how Link plays? Because that, that's, I think, gotta happen. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I didn't think about that one. I think that I would like to see it similar to Link, not not exactly the same because I do want there to be some differences. But I also don't want Zelda to be like Link but more boring. Yep. Because we all know what Link can do. Link can, you know, use his magnesis on all these cool mag- magnetic doors and and he can throw bombs at enemies and he can like one-hit kill these huge rock people, you know. So I don't want Zelda to just be a boring version of Link. I want her to have maybe her own unique powers. Not I don't know what they would be, but I would like it to I would like to see Zelda as a version of Link that just has different different things that she can do. So maybe magic Yes, magic I think that, would be cool. I think the key I think that would be the most likely place to take her would be to give her more magical type of abilities, whether it's summoning weapons even or Link has know, his plus weapons. spells yeah. or something. Or maybe you play with Link as an AI character and mm. he's you know, he's p- popping arrows in from afar or something similar to how in God of War you use uh, a boy, <laughs> Atreus. <laughs> you know, the the player can actually use the side character to shoot arrows while mm-hmm. the main character is using melee or spells or whatever. Um, or maybe similar to like how Kingdom Hearts game kind of works with that. So yeah, I, I agree with you there. Those both would be really good addition and hopefully we'll get some, another great game. Yeah. And great innovations. They've done mm-hmm. s- stellar so far. <laughs> well, listeners, if you like what you've heard, please subscribe, share us with your friends, follow us on Twitter and other social media. You can find us at The Games We Love, or you can find me personally at Aaron L. White. That's A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. This is the last episode of Season 1, so we will be recording more soon and getting excited about and ready for an awesome Season 2. The lineup is fantastic, and I've been playing some great games to get prepared. You're not going to want to miss out on those As a reminder, if you can, leave us a five-star review on your listening platform of choice. That will always help us to grow and get noticed and is much appreciated. But most important is definitely subscribe. So you're always going to be notified when a new episode drops. Ashlyn, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me and sharing your passion for this game and then also for wanting to develop games and you know, I'm excited to one day play more of your game. I mean, I get to play your games now, but I'm excited for everybody to get to play incredible games that you've made. Um, it's going to be awesome. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening because this podcast is for you. We will be back for season two. Until then, get out there and fall in love with the game.